If you have a copy of God's Word with you today, I want to invite you to join us in Mark chapter 6, where we'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. And if you are, uh, are uh, so inclined, we're also going to, about partway through, we're going to look at a passage in Ezekiel 34. So if you want to find that and stick a, a piece of paper in there to mark your spot, we'll be turning to Ezekiel 34 in, in a moment. The, the title of today's message is The Compassionate Shepherd. The Compassionate Shepherd. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see why Jesus is seen as the shepherd of His people. Because he has a compassionate heart for the lost sheep of Israel. I don't know what it was like in your home growing up or even in uh, your home today, but if as a child you skinned your knee or maybe scratched yourself climbing a tree, um, if you wanted a little bit of compassion, who did you go see, mom or dad? <laughs> mom. It's kind of a no brainer. Uh, I don't know if it was like this in your house, but if I injured myself um, and, uh, you know, I, I, like I wasn't bleeding out or something like that, uh, the responses I would, I would usually get from dad typically sounded like this, uh, you'll be all right, uh, walk it off, uh, rub a little dirt in it, um, quit crying, you sissy, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, and, then, and then if you went to mom, it was usually a little different. Now, in my house, my mom was, a, and it is today, an RN, and so we couldn't really play up a whole lot of things. She would quickly assess the situation, and so sometimes her, her sympathy was, was toned down a little bit there with the practical reality of, oh, you'll be fine, and we're not going to waste a mandate on that. But usually, usually, if you want some compassion, you go to mom, and you'll hear things like, oh, sweetie, yes, we'll get you a Band-Aid. Oh, yes, we'll get you the ice pack, or, or whatever it is. The, 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 the times when you needed compassion, you often went to mom to get a little, little bit of sympathy. Well, in this passage, we're going to see our Lord and Savior exercising gentleness and compassion towards the lost sheep of Israel as he sees their needs. What I want to do together is just read these verses in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. Let's read this story and see the ways in which Jesus shows compassion to the crowds that had assembled that day. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away to, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, 
He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So we see in this story here in Mark chapter 6, we encounter Jesus and the disciples right on the tail end of their trip, uh, their missionary journeys. You may remember earlier in the chapter, Jesus sent them out two by two to teach and to heal and to perform miracles. And th- now they've, they've returned. And they've had a busy season of ministry. They've been working hard. And, and they've been working so hard that they've, they've kind of worn themselves out. And they're at a place where Jesus sees that they, they need some rest. They need a chance to just kind of breathe a little bit and recharge and re-energize, so to speak. And so that's where we find them as this story begins. And if you're filling out notes in the blanks, the first thought here is that we see the shepherd meeting spiritual needs. We see the shepherd meeting spiritual needs. The first spiritual needs he meets are the spiritual needs of his disciples. This is beautiful. Look at this here. He says in verse 31, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He knew that what they needed was to step back away from ministry for a season and just recharge. You know, we all need that sometimes. We all need to get to the point where we've been so busy, we've been so frantic, that God wants us to step back and find a place where we can re-energize our spiritual batteries. Uh, lately, um, you know, this is the spring, and we've got three boys in Little League, and, and life has been a little bit of mayhem, just getting them to the fields at night and, and traveling around trying to catch as many games as, as possible. And we're actually, we've actually been struggling with one of the things that the disciples were struggling with in this context. If you notice, it says, many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy, that they didn't even have time to sit down and have a decent meal together. The other night, we finally had an evening free, and I, had, I was asking the boys to set the table, and they're like, where do we sit again? They, they, we'd been so busy having so many nights where we were getting pizza and hot dogs at the ball field, they'd almost forgotten whose place was who at the dinner table and where their normal seats were. Uh, normally, we love to have a chance to sit down as a family and enjoy that meal, and the last couple of weeks, it's been, it's been difficult. The disciples were in the same boat. People were coming and going, and they were ministering to this person and traveling to minister to that person, that they'd been so busy they hadn't even had a chance to sit down and share a meal together. And Jesus says, listen, you guys need to take some time away. Take some time to breathe. And I wonder if, if, if you're in that boat, if maybe God is calling you to take a chance and, and take some time and, and, and just, you know, like it says in the Psalms, to be still and know that that I am God. You know, some of us maybe can't, whether for financial reasons or because of our work schedule, it doesn't allow us to, to really physically get away and go someplace. All of us would probably love to disappear to a private tropical island for a few weeks and, and have some time to recharge our batteries, but that's not going to be practical and possible for most of us. So maybe this means just taking an afternoon, afternoon off of clearing your schedule canceling some plans here and there, learning to say no to certain things so that you can get alone and, and just, just rest 
Just be still. I'm not smart enough to go into all the medical reasons why that's important, but I can tell you spiritually speaking, it's absolutely essential that you take time to be alone with the Lord and to be still and allow Him to, to refill and refresh your soul. And so that's what Jesus said to the disciples. Let's, let's go. And it says they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Sounds good. Sounds like a chance to refresh themselves. But then something happened. It says in verse 33 that many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So somehow... The disciples were, they were getting in the boat and they probably were not going, they probably weren't crossing the whole Sea of Galilee or something. Maybe they were just taking a short trip and maybe one of them had said, hey, you know, I know this good place where we could be, be quiet or maybe Jesus suggested a place and, and they said, it's just a short boat, boat ride, let's just drive right along the coast there and we'll, we'll get down there. So maybe someone heard where they were going. It doesn't tell us exactly how the, the, the crowds knew where they were going to land. But word got around that Jesus and the disciples were going to be going to this certain place. And, and uh, Luke tells us it's in Bethsaida. The passage here in Mark doesn't tell us where they're going. But we find out that it's near Bethsaida. It's a remote place outside of Bethsaida. And so the crowd, it says that um, they, got the, they, they ran there on foot and got there ahead of them. Uh, so presumably Jesus and the disciples are taking the boat because that's the fastest way to get there. But the people outrun them. And are waiting for them. Just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You know what it's like when you need a rest. And you just put your feet up. And you hear, Mommy, I'm hungry. Or you hear the kids fighting upstairs. Or your phone rings and you left it on the dining room table. And it's like, oh, come on. Well, just magnify this. They've been ministering and ministering. They're tired. They're worn out. They're exhausted. And they just need a break. And they're, they're, they're pulling up within sight of shore, thinking they're going to a remote, desolate, quiet retreat. And the crowds have packed the shoreline. And their hearts sink. You've got to be kidding me. We just wanted a little break here. And they don't get it. It's interesting that in chapter 1, the disciples interrupted Jesus' need for privacy in verses 35 through 39. And now the crowd interrupts their need for privacy. But something interesting happens in verse 34 that really just caught my attention. In fact, I I almost thought about just spending our whole time on this verse alone, but we've got to get to the miracle because the miracle is amazing. But verse 34 says this, when Jesus... It says, when he went ashore and he saw the crowd, speaking of Jesus, he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. If I were in the disciples' shoes, I would have been complaining, I would have been whining, how did they find us here? Come on, I just needed just maybe a few hours, just an afternoon off, and Yet Jesus, he saw these people and what their needs were. And rather than join in, rather than say, let's pull up anger and go find another spot, his heart broke for them. Because he saw beyond the little annoyances and and the 
the, the things that were getting under the disciples' skin. He saw a true, genuine lostness. He saw their need. And it says he had compassion on them. This is a really interesting word in the Greek, this word compassion. It's only used of Jesus in the New Testament. He's the only one that, that gets this verb here, used of him. And, and it's more than just to feel sorry for someone, like, oh, that's, that's sad. It's more than that. It's, it's like a deep-seated, like his heart was going out in a real and genuine way. His, his heart was breaking for them. There's this affection in this genuine brokenheartedness that was taking place at their lostness. It might be a little bit like this. Maybe you hear about someone on the other side of the, maybe, maybe it comes through a prayer chain or something, and this is someone you've never met, you've never seen, you don't know them, and you hear that, that they have cancer. And you think, yeah, that, that really stinks. But when you get a phone call saying and a member of your immediate family has cancer, your feeling is a whole lot different. You might feel badly. You might want to pray for that person that you've never met, you've never known. But when it's someone, when it hits close to home, it's an entirely different thing. That's the feeling that's going on here, that Jesus is experiencing this overwhelming brokenheartedness for these people. Whereas the disciples were looking at him like, yeah, there are more people. They're everywhere. Yep, that's, that's what we do. That's, they're, they're all around us. We can't get away from them. Jesus saw beyond the superficialness, beyond the, the first layers, and he realized that these were people who were without Christ, who didn't have a relationship with God. And it says he, he, when he saw them, he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. People just wandering around, lost. You know, when, when you see someone who's lost, uh, maybe if it's another adult, you think, eh, they'll figure it out. You see they've got a cell phone, a GPS, it'll work out. But if you see a child, someone that you know is helpless, you want to rush to their side. I'll never forget a few years ago, we were at a Tigers game, and they did that, uh, they do it a few times a year where the kids can run the bases after the game. And so we thought when we saw that on the schedule, we're like, oh, let's take our boys to that. It'll be a blast. Look at to go down on the field at Comerica Park. And, and I, I kind of wanted to do it myself. I'm like, can I shove some kids out of the way and get on there? But at the very least, I'm going to steal a few handfuls of grass and some of my, I got grass from Comerica Park. So the kids go on the field and, uh, and, um, there's this massive line. I had no clue there'd be this many kids there. It was a night game. I thought, ah, oh, the kids all be in bed. Oh, no, no, no. They were all wide awake, and they were all going to run the bases. So we had this huge, long line to get down on the field. And afterwards, it was just mayhem. Kids and people everywhere. Usually at this point, the stadium's almost emptied out, but there were kids everywhere. And so we were walking along, and at that point, we just had the, the two boys, and um, we were kind of making a beeline. I remembered for once, where our car was parked, and so I was trying to get to the, 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 part of the, the ramp that got us out of the stadium and out into where we were parked, and all of a sudden, my wife said, where's Jaden? And we looked, and Caleb was right here, but Jaden was nowhere, and there's just a sea of people. You can't see more than about 10 feet, just heads and people everywhere, and moms, you know that feeling. I mean, yeah, you just, the color just drains from the panic starting to set in, your heart rate's picking up. 
and, and we didn't know where Jaden was. And so we start walking back where we came, and fortunately, he was only about, about 30 or 40 yards back there, and we just couldn't see him because of all the people. And uh, I, my wife would remember, but I believe it was a school teacher and a, and a police officer <laughs> happened to see him. And uh, they, they pulled him aside. They saw the lost look on his face, and they asked him, are you looking for your parents? And he said, yeah. And they, they pulled him aside, and they waited there. They had compassion on him. They weren't just going to let, they, especially a school teacher and a policeman, were not just going to let this child wander around lost, trying to find his way on his own. They wanted to make sure that they were going to see him safely to, to the people that he belonged to, help him find his parents. Jesus felt that same compassion. He looked in these people and he just saw this little child wandering around in a sea of baseball fans, having no clue where to go, having, having no, no place of refuge. Jesus saw these people as spiritually desperate and his heart broke within him and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. If you, if you found Ezekiel 34, just kind of save your place in Mark 6. We'll be right back. But flip over to Ezekiel 34. I want you to see this passage for a second. Because there's, you know that, that as God inspired the writers of the New Testament, there's no accidents. That God, God didn't just pick thoughts and words and stories at random. These stories and these words have purposes. And, and there's, there's things that, that if, if you were a first century Jew, as you were reading this story and you heard that phrase, as a sheep without a shepherd, you would have been reminded of this passage in Ezekiel 34. This is a passage where, it, where uh, God is rebuking the, the people, the, especially the spiritual leaders of the people, through the prophet Ezekiel for neglecting their tasks of taking care of the people. They were supposed to lead, they were supposed to protect, they were supposed to teach, they were supposed to warn them about sin, and they were doing none of those things. And so, at the beginning of this passage, uh, the, the prophet rebukes them. And he says, you haven't taken care of them, you haven't healed them, you haven't helped them. And in verse 5, it says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. The people in Ezekiel's day were struggling in the same way that they were in Jesus' day. They were not being spiritually taken care of. They were not being spiritually fed. The shepherds, the, the spiritual leaders, were nowhere to be found. And they were scattered abroad, just lost sheep, just with, with, with no clue what was going on and no clue on how to find their way home. But there's this awesome promise in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11. Listen to what God says. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep, that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing, their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them to lie down, declares the Lord God. 
What a beautiful picture. God says, you know what? Even though your, your, your human shepherds have failed, even though you've been let down by the people who should be taking care of you, you know what? I'm going to fulfill these promises, and I am going to be the one who will shepherd you. I will be the one who guides you and protects you and leads you. And you know what's happening in Mark chapter 6? Jesus is fulfilling this very promise of God. He was telling them in Ezekiel 34, one day I will be the one who brings you safely into the land. I will be the one who saves you and protects you. And that prophecy is being fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you read the Gospel of John, particular places like John chapter 10, we see Jesus telling us that He is the Good Shepherd. He's the one who lays down His life for the sheep. And that's the one whose heart is moving with compassion. And notice what He does. His heart... Uh, it says, he, and he had compassion on them because, uh, we're back in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. His first reaction when he saw their spiritual needs was to begin teaching them the Word of God. You know, so often uh, we rush to, to meet physical needs first. Those people, there, there were people there who probably need to be healed, and, and, uh, and I believe it's the Matthew or the Luke passage it says that Jesus healed also during this time. We might think that food would be their, their primary need or shelter would be their primary need. But no, no, no. Jesus goes past that and goes right to teaching them the Word of God. He knew their number one problem was their lostness. They were sheep without a shepherd and they needed to meet the good shepherd. And so he began to teach the Word of God. Those other things are important and we're going to see that in just a moment. First, first and foremost, we need to remember that God's Word is the top priority. And we can meet anybody else's, anybody else's needs that they have, whatever they might be, whatever physical needs they are. And those are important. But if we don't, if we don't get to, to the spiritual needs, if we don't take God's Word to them, then we're not addressing the true issues. But Jesus didn't leave it there with some teaching. He moved on. And so we see the shepherd meeting physical needs as well. The shepherd is a good preacher. They weren't checking their watch. They weren't trying to, you know, slip out or, 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 or get out of the message. They were, they were captivated. And things were going on all afternoon, and it began to get towards evening. And the disciples come to him in verse 35, and they said, um, just so you know, Jesus, like he wasn't aware of this, this is a desolate place. Remember, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. They still found us. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This was their excuse to get rid of their crowds. We can finally ditch these guys and have some solitude. And so he says, let's send them away so they can go get their own dinner. Come on. We're hungry, they're hungry. Tell them to go get dinner. Lunch break, dinner break. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. <laughs> oh, come on. And they said to him, and you can kind of see, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, but there, there are portions of the, the Gospels, as I've been studying through this, this book and through this series, where the disciples get a bit snarky with Jesus. And I think this is one of those times. 
They're almost being a little sarcastic. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? This is just a little bit rude and disrespectful here in the way that they're wording this. Because a denarii was a day's wages for a common labor. So they're saying, should we get 200 denarii, which translated in today's terms is about 40 grand. It's a lot of money. And they're like, oh, okay, well, should, we just, should we just write a check, Jesus? We, we, we call the caterer? Should we have it brought in? Well, where are we going to get this food? There's, there's that undertone of, come on, let's be serious, Jesus. You see their disbelief and their faith, just kind of, their lack of faith, just bubbling to the top here a little bit. See, the problem is, is that when we look at a situation from our perspective, we see the, the seeming impossibility of, of it being taken care of. They looked and they saw they had literally thousands of people to feed. If you remember the last verse we read in Mark, verse 44, says those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Now, can we agree that that's a lot of people to cook for? <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of people. If you look, though, at the passage in uh, Matthew, when Matthew's account of this story in Matthew 14, 21, he says that it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So now we don't know exact numbers or anything, but if you figure that a lot of, a lot of married couples were there with families, multiple children, there could have been anywhere from, and I've seen scholars estimate anywhere from 15,000 to maybe even up to 25,000 people here. Holy cow, that is a lot of people. I've, I've cooked dinner for my family of six before, but trying to, trying to come up with food for fifteen to 25,000 people, um, you can kind of understand the disciples' sarcasm and their lack of faith. We know that there's no obstacle too great for God. And we can read a story like this and give a hearty amen, but what about when those obstacles come into our own life? When it's a medical diagnosis? That, that's, that's, that's called terminal. What about when it's a financial situation that everybody's saying you can't dig yourself out of? What about those situations that seem hopeless, where they, there seems to be absolutely no way that anything good can come out of this, or that, that the situation just seems to be set in stone, the outcome seems to be set in stone, and there's no way that God could do, do anything to fix this? We, we might pray for it, but we know deep down in some of these situations that we don't believe anything's going to happen. That we don't think that the person's going to get better. We don't think that the situation's going to get better, that that person's ever going to believe in Christ or whatever the, the impossible situation is. The disciples were looking out over a sea of thousands and thousands of hungry people, and Jesus says, get them some food. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, right. We have situations in our life where we're kind of like, yeah, right, don't we? I know I do. Jesus once again exposed the disciples' lack of faith. And so he says, how many loaves do you have? Verse 38, go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. The Gospel of John tells us that it was Andrew who discovered that there was a little boy who had brought five loaves and two fish. This is one of those stories, one of those parts of biblical stories. I wish we could just know the background. Who is this kid? Where did he come from? 
Was he seriously the only person out of thousands and thousands of people who thought, I might be hungry out in the wilderness today while I'm listening to Jesus teach for hours? He's the only person who planned ahead. I wonder if there were maybe other people that were like hiding their food. The disciples ain't taking my food. I don't know. But what they came back with was five loaves of bread and two fish. That's, that's all they found. The Bible says that Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before all the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus began to feed them and feed them. And the food just kept coming. And it kept coming. And it kept coming. There's a beautiful little picture here I don't want you to miss. If you notice, it says, Then he commanded all, these, all them to sit down in groups on the green grass. It's just an interesting addition, an interesting detail that, that Mark includes in here. But I, I don't think it's by accident. We know that Mark has an affinity for details, but I don't think it's by accident that Jesus found a place where he led them to green grass to provide for them. Does it remind you of a psalm that goes like this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus saw thousands of people who were in need, who had no other recourse for their needs but to turn to the great shepherd who led them to green pastures and there he fed them. There he took care of them. Some of us today are in need of our great shepherd to bring us to green pastures. We're fried like the disciples. We're, we're, we're burnt out. Our, our souls are parched and weary. And we need the great shepherd to lead us beside still waters and to minister to our souls. Sheep have no ability to take care of themselves, they can't survive on their own. They need the constant care and attention of the shepherd. I hate to break it to you, but when God calls us sheep in the Bible, it's not a compliment. <laughs> He's not saying, you guys are some... I mean, he could have called us... There's all kinds of cool animals out there that can defend themselves and provide for themselves and, and, and stand on their own two feet and people are, uh, other creatures are scared of them, intimidated by them. He didn't pick those animals. He picked sheep because he knows that's what we're like. We're helpless. We can't take care of ourselves. We can't, we can't scare anything off by ourselves. We, we're completely dependent upon the shepherd. And Jesus looked across the sea of people and he, he said, these are sheep that are scattered and they need a shepherd. And so he came and he put them down in green grass and he fed them. And it says in verse 42 that they all ate and they were satisfied. Have you ever, you ever had to walk away from the dinner table hungry? Ever been invited over to somebody's house and you looked at the spread and you're like, they didn't make enough food. This is not going to cut it. 
then you have to decide, am I going to be the gentleman and just have a couple small portions, or am I going to, as every man for himself, and we're going to go for this thing. And, uh, and then you know later on you're going to walk away with an empty belly, and you're going to have to hit Taco Bell or something on the way home. It's, it's not a good feeling. But these people here, they had more than enough to eat. It said all of them ate their full. They were satisfied. It was a good meal. They walked away and a Unbutton, unbuttoning their, their, their un, you know, loosening their belt a little bit. They had plenty to eat. See, when Jesus provides, he provides richly. And he, I think this passage was pointing to Jesus as, as, the, as the Gospel of John talks about Jesus being the bread of life. None of us who go to Christ to find the true bread of life will leave wanting. Jesus is the bread that satisfies. Just as these people ate their full and were satisfied, so too Jesus is the one that we can go to to meet our spiritual needs. As we close today, there are just a couple of applications that I want to just point us to. First of all, we need to remember that God is our shepherd in every way. We are needy sheep. And he is the shepherd who wants to lead us, wants to guide us, wants to provide for us, wants to take us to pastures where we can lay down and rest, wants us to take, to, take us to the still waters where we can drink refreshing, cool water. He wants to restore your soul today. He wants to strengthen you. But you must turn to the shepherd. Secondly, we see that both physical and spiritual needs are a priority to Jesus. Jesus didn't just simply preach and send them on their way, nor did he simply go and and give them food to eat and say, you're welcome, see ya. In in Christian circles, sometimes we fall in one of two ditches. Uh, uh, Usually Christian liberalism will say, let's let's take care of the physical needs. Let's, let's make sure that we're, we're, we're meeting those things and helping people uh, get on their own two feet and providing for, for their, their physical welfare. But they leave the gospel out. <laughs> and then maybe some more conservative churches, like the one I grew up in, would be strong on sharing the gospel. They need to hear the word of God. But then we neglect the physical needs. It doesn't matter if their, their life on earth is a living hell as long as we make sure that they're, they're kept out of hell in the afterlife. That's a terrible perspective too. Yeah, get them the word of God that's crucial. We see Jesus in his ministry doing both. He preached first and then he fed them. He took care of the spiritual needs, but he also cared and ministered to their physical needs as well. So finally... As we think about Jesus being the compassionate shepherd, I think today we need to be reminded to ask God for the compassion of Jesus. I wish I could say that that my heart was always like Jesus in verse 34. But if I was honest, I I often find myself feeling like the disciples. Oh, come on, not again. More problems, more issues, more stuff. Come on. We can be so concerned about doing ministry and wanting to do it our way that we neglect the people to whom God has called us to minister. And maybe you're hoping for something bigger and better, something flashier. And what God has laid before you is is maybe not so glamorous, but people that God has entrusted to your care, your children, your friends, family members. You'd just as soon not see at the family reunion this summer. 
And yet God has called you to be the one to minister to them. Ask God for the compassion of Jesus. Because he knows we don't have it. He knows we don't have the patience. He knows we don't have the love. He knows we don't have those things in and of ourselves. But he promises that when we go to him, he he strengthens us for those things. A compassionate, loving minister who cares for souls has the ability to impact people for all eternity. Many of you are familiar with the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He told the story of his conversion, went like this. He said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. One day I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was at work in. He put his hand on my shoulder and he talked to me about Christ in my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here's a man who never saw me until recently, and yet he's weeping over my sins. I've never even shed a tear about them. Moody wrote, but I understand it now, and know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and to weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. The concern and the tears of this godly Sunday school teacher resulted in the conversion of a man who saw a million souls saved in the preaching of the gospel. The power of a compassionate heart. It's the heart of our great shepherd, Jesus. And it's the heart that he wants us to come to him and ask for so that we might lovingly minister to those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I see our Savior in this story, I find myself rebuked because I see how often it is to set how often how easy it is to set compassion aside and think selfishly about my time or my wants or my needs. And I can justify not showing compassion by telling you all the reasons this person is in their plight, all the bad decisions they made, all the foolish financial choices, all the other people that tried to help them and got nowhere. God, you know that we can be pretty good at making up excuses not to show compassion to someone who needs it. Father, give us the heart of Christ. Give us eyes to see souls, lost souls, who are without Jesus. Give us grace to look past the things that get under our skin or annoy us about someone and And help us to see them the way you see them. As a lost sheep wandering. In need of being rescued. 
Give us the heart of compassion. Give us the heart of our compassionate shepherd. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.